Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. Like the, you know, with any experience, any job, you just feel more comfortable. When I first started, I had to write full ass scripts. You know, okay. like they were word for word what I was going to say, but that made me a bad performer because I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about laughs. I wasn't even thinking about like, oh, I'm going to have to stop here. You know, I just had a monologue basically. Mm -hmm. And then I st stopped writing like that. And then I would just start writing kind of like a grocery list. Hot breath. What's goody, Hot breath verse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and we are on a mission to cultivate the next generation of great comics. And you listening to this right now means you are on that mission as well. So thank you for listening. Whether you're a comedy fan or a comedian looking to level up their game, we are all in this together, hot brethren and sistren. And this interview today definitely embodies that spirit. This guest is known for his positivity, known for his energy that he puts out into the world, and that is what we want to share here at Hot Breath as well. And our guest today joined us in our Hot Breath Pro Comedian Incubator group to help answer member questions. So if you're a comedian looking to level up your game with educational resources and a supportive community on this comedy journey, go into the description of this episode and click Join Hot Breath Pro to learn more about how you can become a member. So without further ado, there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Ron Funches. Ah. Ron Funches. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is so great. So I love you. We're already smiling, and we're about to jump into the Q&A, but I, of course, have to selfishly ask at least a few questions as a fan and as a fellow comedian. And what I, what I always look for in comedians is like, what can we learn about them, even just beyond how you tell a joke? And something I admire about you is just your mindset. And I'm curious, as a comedian, not only just mental health, but... What is the value of having your mindset and how does your offstage mindset affect your onstage performance? Oh, man, that's a good question. That I'm going to try to take my time with, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, well, it, it kind of came to me pretty early in comedy from going to open mics. I would see uh, different types of styles and I would see people um, especially when I started, it was during, you know, the Bush years and people loved to do politics jokes then and they loved to just make fun of him and, and, and rip him apart. And I would see these acts and I remember seeing one guy in particular, he seemed so angry and so like really invested in it. And then I see him off stage and I was like, wow, like, oh, you really get so angry about that. I mean, that must suck. I, not that suck. I was like, but that must be hard for you to live with. And he was like, oh, I don't really feel that way. You know, it's, it's an act. And I was like, oh, well, then why did you do it? You know, that's how I looked at it. And I um, looked at the job and I, I understood that it wasn't like it wasn't always improv. You know, it wasn't coming up with a new joke every time you went on stage. You might 
work on some wording. You might change things up. But a lot of times, you know, you're working on your act over and over and over again. And so I decided that if I wanted, if I had to say the same things over and over again, that I wanted to talk about things I love. And I want to talk about things that made me happy, not things that, um, I didn't want to give power to things that I hated. You know, I feel that the Trump election was a big um, indicator of that. Like you had right up until he was elected, everyone was like, oh, he's a joke. He's an idiot. He's this. He's that. He's just a reality star. But I could tell just from the amount of talk in the universe it was all about him whether it was negative or positive it was about him and to me um when you do that you give that entity a lot of power Mm. and so i wanted to like if i want to bring power to things i want to bring power to things that i love and enjoy uh things that some people make fun of like you know pro wrestling or video games or monogamy or whatever like things that i like and that i enjoy I'd rather give them more power than to constantly be like, oh, can you believe this is going on? You know, and I think there's still a value to that. There's always a value to speak in truth to power and um, calling out bullshit. And I, I try never to shy away from that. But I didn't want to I didn't never wanted my stage life and my real life to be far apart from each other. I felt that the most successful comedians and the people who I looked up to um, were people who who would be joking around backstage and then get on stage and be the same exact person. How are you able to... How that, That's something as comedians we struggle with is like, we want to be funny offstage like we are on stage. How are you able to like tighten that gap over time? Um, preparing less. <laughs> <laughs> That's really it. Oh, okay. A lot of it, like, like my fiance to this day, she doesn't. She'll get weirded out by it because I'll have a, a set, and she's like, "What are you gonna do?" And I'll just be like, "I don't know. Like, I'll figure it out when I get up there." And so, I, it, 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 a lot of it came from reading and watching Gary Shandling's documentary and biography of of staying in the moment and trying not to like show people like this is an act you know i wanted to i I, once i watched that documentary i started to set this rule with myself that i I would always start by just being in the moment i would never start with like a planned joke i would always just talk about what whatever's going on awesome and some of some of the questions are more about like going into more detail on that so i'll just jump into my next question real quick because another thing that I admire about you is your mindfulness around learning and being a part of other worlds besides just comedy. We can, we can get single-minded as comedians and be like, it's all comedy all the time. But you're very intentional mm-hmm. about learning from different worlds and being in different worlds. And I recently mm-hmm. heard you say in an interview that you've learned more about the business from like rap and wrestling than you have from anything within comedy. And I'd be interested to know what are some of the business things you've learned from rap and wrestling that you apply to your comedy? Oh, that, thank you for asking that. Um, I think in, in comedy, we, we 
a lot of us get this mindset of like, oh, we're we're pure artists. We just want to do stand up. Like so many my friends I'd even talk to and they'd be like, why do you want to do voice acting? Why do you want to do like like stand up is the purity. And as I think if anyone sees right now, diversifying your portfolio is a fucking <laughs> god. Because there's no stage for you to hit right now. But however, I'm still getting checks from trolls. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't want that either here nor there. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of the business I learned from from rap and from from um, wrestling was self promotion about making yourself seem like a big deal. That if if you made yourself seem like a big deal, no one's going to believe you are a big deal until you do. And so. A lot of my, like, I would post about my shows. I would post about what's going on. Even if they were half full, I would just take pictures. I would post about them because I was like, you want to be a part of this. The the half full room that was here, they loved it. You should be here. They are the cool people. And then a lot of it was, like, selling T-shirts and selling posters. Like, when I started doing that, a lot of it was kind of looked down upon that it was corny, that it was hacky, that it was that's what road comics do. Mm-hmm. But I knew every time I went to a wrestling show, every time I went to a rap show, I wanted to leave with that artist's T-shirt because I wanted to support them because I wanted to. I thought it was cool if I came back with a currency shirt or a Devin the Dude shirt or whatever. Like, And I thought it was weird that comics didn't seem, look at it like that. And so I wanted, I got into merch more, I got into self-promotion more, and I got into making like little commercials for my, for my runs, for my um, tour. Like, I said, they were doing that a couple years ago, and a lot of my comedian peers were making fun of me. Like, hey, why are you doing that? It's, you know, you're wasting your time. They're stupid. They're low budget. They look weird. But I like, I love low budget commercials. It is a little, it's a local commercial for like, hey, I'm coming to your town. And then I shit you not, like a year later, clubs were requiring that I send them a video. Mm-hmm. And then my and then I started seeing, oh, my peers are making commercials now. Like and I was like, oh, you were you were the one making fun of me. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, uh, when it comes to business, I don't like to be a follower. I like to to be a leader. I like to think about what we could do different, what we can do better. Um, that's one thing I'm doing right now. I'm partnering with this company, um, ProWrestlingTees.com, and they've been a big help in the pro wrestling community with helping independent contractors, independent wrestlers sell their own merch online. They provide the t-shirts, they provide like the shipping, they provide everything. You just provide the art and you set the price point. And it's been such a godsend for the wrestling community. I was like, why don't we have this for comedians? We're, we probably sell more shirts than wrestlers. And so now we're starting that. We got a small group of people, me, Adam Ray, Brad Williams, Billy Wayne Davis, Jackie Fabulous, Beth Stellan, and we're, we're starting like a comedy wrestling tease with, with the pro wrestling tease guy. So uh, because I think it can work for comedians of all levels because they don't when I started selling merch like they they would make you buy a bulk order of t-shirts I remember I was selling with some small company and I sold like 300 shirts and they sent me a bill and I was like what's going on you know so um, luckily I start 
because of my love of pro wrestling, I was able to talk to this other company that was like, hey, that's fucking ridiculous. Like, you'll never, you come hang out with us, you'll never get a bill for selling a shirt. Like, you might, you know, only get five, ten dollars if you sell one shirt that month, but you'll never get a bill. And so I've been working with them and building that relationship ever since. What I love is that you weren't taking into like the negativity of like, well, why are you doing that? That's dumb. That's hack. I mean, I've definitely heard, well, what, what are you selling merch? What, what are you, a traveling salesman or something? You know, and we all have heard that. But you were mindful enough to be like, well, no, this is my journey. This is my career. That I'm in control of my success, and I'm going to do this regardless of whatever chatter I'm hearing. Yeah, because to me, it's no different than high school. You know, it's yeah. like... None of us know what we're doing. We're all trying to figure it out. We all want that. So what? In, in what? What do we do? We just all sit around and make fun of each other, you know. So like, to me, I started looking at that as a positive. Like, if I was doing something and I could tell that my peers were kind of mocking it, I was like, oh, I'm on to something. Ooh, I'm. Rem- yeah, that that's a gold right there. So. I'm definitely going to mark that one down. I'm going to glaze that on a plate and hang it in my office. <laughs> so let's, let's, get into these, uh, let's get into these questions here. And I first have to say, uh, as soon as my sister saw that you were going to be on here, she, she was like messaging me this morning. She was so excited. She's a huge fan. But then she has a daughter that didn't nap this afternoon. So I guess that means that it gets crazy if there's no nap in the middle of the day. Oh, yeah. So she couldn't make it, but she sent me a message just to start off this Q&A with some positivity, as we like to do. Um, She just said, uh, I would like to tell him that I loved Undateable and have wanted a Shelly hug ever since then. (laughs) And we have also loved him in Trolls, and it was awesome to see Cooper have such a major role in the Trolls World Tour movie. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I really like that, too, because I got to not just do silly voices. I got to actually uh, act and have a little story to tell. So that means a lot to me. Thank you. Beautiful. All right. So this actually transitions perfectly into that. This is our first question from Christian Williams asks, can you speak on making the transition from stand up to acting and voice acting? And what is your favorite show or movie you've gotten to work on? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, first, I will say that, like, it's so, they're so different. They're very different jobs. And, but what you, what's different about them is just kind of like the technical speak and, and not knowing terms. It's kind of like, it's a lot, a, lot, a lot of different industries, like whether you're in the medical industry or you're a lawyer, there's these terms that you know that other you know civilians don't know. So when I first was going from stand-up to acting, there were things that scared me, like when people would say, hey, turn camera side. I did not know what that meant. Uh, hit, your, hit your mark. I did not know what that meant. And so that was the scary part of it. But coming from stand-up, it gave me this background of like, okay, I can look at it, I can look at these scenes like jokes, and I can look at my 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 lines as if they're my set list, you know? And I've done that kind of with everything I do. I try not to betray my base and my background. Like even when I write 
um, I try to write my own series. I try to write different, so a few pilots. But if you go into my initial like drafts, they're kind of like sets. They're just like this. This is the order. This is the end. This is you know, it's one, two, three, four. Like it's a set Mm -hmm. because I that's how I learned to write. And so I kind of take that with acting and voice acting as well. Um, One of the biggest lessons I learned. And some of the best advice I can give is to stay humble and to not think success in one area means that you have success in the other area, but that it does mean that you can have a base. Like, I know I'm funny. So I was like, okay, that I can learn the rest. I know I'm funny. I know I'm likable. I know I'm people want to watch me. So I the rest I can learn. And, And that's what I would say. Learn it. Go to acting class have a respect for it um, if you truly want to do it because that that's what I did as soon as I moved to LA within six months I was in acting class and I've been in acting class continuously since then like I don't I don't leave like I, I, I know I don't have a respect for people who don't respect the craft like to me it's such a blessing to have these jobs to have that opportunity and I always know I hated it when an actor or a wrestler or somebody came in to stand up and then they were like, oh, yeah, I remember I would talk to some wrestlers and be like, oh, I've tried stand up. The first show I did was an hour. And it's just like, well, you didn't you didn't really do stand up. Right. <laughs> exactly. You got on stage and you told some stories until you left, you know. So, like, I don't have respect for that. And I knew I didn't want to be that as an actor. I didn't want to come in and have actors be like, oh, this guy doesn't, he's just mugging and just hitting lines. He doesn't care. He doesn't know about the arc. He doesn't know about intentions. He doesn't know anything like that. So I stay in class. And I think one of the major differences that my acting teacher taught me um, was that and it helped my stand-up, actually, is that stand-ups are usually taught to stay above their feelings and to just comment on the situation. And that doesn't work for acting. You have to be in your body. You have to be in your feelings. You have to go on the journey. You know, that's why Seinfeld is a great comedian and great on his show, but he's not a great actor because he doesn't go into any feelings. And so... I learned that I wanted to do that, and then I kind of would say, oh, like... I can take those feelings and then use that in my stand-up. So now I'm not, I'm, I'm not only getting laughs, I'm taking you on this journey. I'm making you feel, I'm, make, I'm talking to you about my son. I'm talking to you about my life. I'm making you care about me. And to me, that's like just as powerful as getting a big laugh. And his other- I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, for <laughs> sure. No that, no, that was very <laughs> thorough. Thank you so much for sharing that. Because well, I have heard- to the second part, which was the the favorites. My my favorites that I've done so far. Um, I really loved acting with Dan Harmon. Uh, I did a thing with him uh, called Great Minds, where I got to be Edie Amin, and just his process of like when I showed up there, they didn't even have a script. Like he was just like this. This is what we're thinking about. Let's work it out together, and then we'll figure it out. And I feel like it was probably some of my best acting because of that. Um, I really liked my role in Future Man because I liked, uh, I thought that I did some solid acting there. And um, I think my voiceover is Harley Quinn. Like, I, I think that's like super funny and a really good show and, and just some of my best work. Awesome. So the next question we have here 
we have from uh, Devon Stanfield, and he asks, how important was the weight loss in, wait, how important was the weight, how important was the weight loss important for you? <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, wait, am I reading this right? And then, <laughs> Clearly a fan of mine because he, he wrote this stone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 oh perfect so I appreciate that you fit right in <laughs> um, but to answer that question how I feel it should how I feel it's being asked um, it's just important for my, my life for for my health first and foremost like that's what I cared about is that I, I knew I wasn't doing that health being healthy I was sweating a lot having trouble breathing sometimes like doing two shows a night would not would, like take it out of me and I was just like Especially once I got on the show, I was like, oh, oh holy shit. Like, I am got this show. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like, I don't know what I'm doing at all. So what would happen if I buckled down and put forth an effort and not just acting class, but also my health? And um, I just knew, like, there was a limit to the roles that I was going to get at, at that weight I was, at, like, 350 plus at that time. Um, I knew there was a limit to my roles that I, that the highest that I was probably going to get was going to be fat friend, you know? Hmm. And I felt in my heart that I was more than that, that I was a leading man. And I was like, Hey, I'm willing to, to do anything to allow me to have more range that allowed me to, to people to look at me a little bit different. And I, at first it was a negative cause I, it was affecting sometimes my shows. Like I would go out with my new face and new promo and people be like, I don't know who that is. What, where, that's not Ron Funches, you know? And then also you get the classic, oh, you're not, you're fat. You're not fat as, as much anymore. So there's no way you're funny, you know? And I was just like, well, who gives a fuck? Cause now I'm healthy. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. And I love you're like, I, really I, I know in my mind I'm a leading man. And that goes back to you saying, no one's going to think you're a big deal until you think you're a big deal. It's just, Right here, man. So powerful. Yeah, and I, I want that. And I knew that the weight was going to be a big, big hurdle for that, to be, be seen as a leading man. And and for a while, again, it was a short-term negative, but I start I knew it was starting to work when I would get some of these roles, like an even, like, there was like this in-between time where I was still getting like, hey, we want you to be the fat guy roles. And I, I was this janitor for this show, AP Bio, and they wanted me to hit on this lady, and, and, and then she turned me down. And then I went and I did it, and then they called Cut, and the director was a wonderful woman I've worked with a couple times. She just was like, mm, we're going to need you to like hold a plunger or something because I'm just not seeing why she wouldn't go out with you. You know? <laughs> and I was like, this is the best note I've ever received. Because when I was 360 pounds, I never got that note. That's perfect. All right. Next one here from Wayne Flake Jr. Are there any writing techniques that you have found most helpful? Uh, just to write every day. You know, I like to free write in the morning, just get some ideas out. Um, I, I usually call my writing style more more fishing than hunting. You know, I'm not necessarily like, oh, this is what we're doing. I kind of like sit and I let things come to me. And then um, so it's very 
um, slow in that way. But I think one of my favorite techniques when I don't have anything, like when I'm like, oh, I need to just come up with a topic, is I'll take a grid and I will just write um, love, hate, fear. And then I will go through what do I love right now? What do I hate right now? What do I fear right now? And I know if I can come up with something that pulls those emotions out of me, then those are probably subjects I should write about and talk about on stage. So you'll list out some things under love, hate, fear, and then you may pick one and start free writing about it. Is that kind of the distillation? Yes, exactly. And then from free writing, you then have whittled that down into maybe a few phrases or ideas that then you take to the stage, or do you get even more specific on the word for word? No, yeah, once I have, it's the idea, you know, once I have the idea, then I put it on stage, and I always say that, like, I'll know, I'll know the idea, the audience will tell me what the joke is. You know, when they laugh, then the joke has stopped. Right, 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 right. But is that a skill that you worked into? Because a lot of the times younger comics are like, I'll just go up there and figure it out because this professional comic of 30 years said to that's mm. what he does. Like, is it something you worked into or were you always? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's not something you just do <laughs> off the top. I definitely think you should have some years of experience first. Um, I mean, but I think that's how like, the you know, with any experience, any job, you just feel more comfortable. When I first started, I had to write full ass scripts. You know, okay. like they were word for word what I was going to say, but that made me a bad performer because I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about laughs. I wasn't even thinking about like, oh, I'm going to have to stop here. You know, I just had a monologue basically. Mm-hmm. And then I st- stopped writing like that. And then I would just start writing kind of like a grocery list where it would just be like, oh, this is the subject. This is the subject. This is the subject. Um, I'm going to talk about it and I might have a punchline in mind or I might have a setup in mind, but I usually didn't have both. <laughs> so it would, you know, talk it out and then just, you know, see if, if sometimes bomb, but sometimes people would laugh and I'd go, oh, OK, that's how I should say it next time. Perfect. And you mentioned grocery list, which comes into Jason Fox's question. He asked. What is your pre-show routine? So is it you making that grocery list? Yeah, what is the pre-show routine? Um, lately, it's changed. My pre-show routine in the past, and it depends on what I got going on. Am I working on towards an hour? Am I like sharpening something up? Because then I might have that list. I might have full index cards of like, here's my whole set. Here's where I think is weak. Here is what I think I need to work on. Here's what I think is done, even though it usually never is. Um, but a lot of times l- lately, uh, and it's because my, my special came out, and then I was kind of like, oh, now I just want to do comedy for fun again. Like That was such a stressful time of like, run it, run it, run it, run it, run it. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I did it. I achieved my personal goal. I made an hour of comedy and I fucking like it. So now, because I know a lot of people, they're like, oh, next hour, next hour, next hour. But to me, that's so mentally draining. I was just like, now I get to just write about whatever. Fucking, it's great and it's fun. And so now I just kind of 
talk shit with my friends. We usually bring like a little speaker system. Even better now, I kind of make the clubs do a playlist of the songs that I want to listen to instead of listening to their music, you know, because I'm trying to set my tone and set what we're going to do for the evening. Um, So the music's playing. Me and my friends are usually just chatting and having a good time. And I'm laying down chilling like my my best set if i'm not even thinking about it until i get on stage Mm. all right so the next we have from chase bonin he says (laughs) (laughs) or maybe bonin i don't know we'll call him bonin i don't know (laughs) we'll call him bonin i like bonin (laughs) we're just roasted a few people that are asking questions this is great so yesterday, Jesse David Fox was roasting someone's name, too. So I guess people are expecting it now. So he asks, with such a unique style, do you ever find yourself still having similar jokes with any other comics? The whole parallel thinking thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, I was in Montreal having a good time doing some jokes about uh, ko- koalas and ha- koalas having chlamydia. Because I found that out when I went to Australia. And then I went to go see um, Dulce Sloan afterwards. And she was pretty much doing the same exact bit. <laughs> so- mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was really fun. I talked to her afterwards and I was just like, hey, like I just want to let you know, I'm doing a koala bit about going to Australia. You're doing and chlamydia. Like they were different pun- different like arcs on it but for the most part it's just like koalas chlamydia and so i was like i don't plan to stop i don't think i'm going to put it in anything but i it's funny and fun so i'm going to keep working on it you keep working on yours i just want to let you know i'm doing it and then most of all i just love that two young black comedians both went to australia (laughs) yeah Oh, yeah, so you just keep writing about it. You're like, even though someone else is doing it, I'm still going to do my version of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a difference of, like, street jokes and, like, one-to-one just copies. But if you're talking your life, you're talking relationships, you're talking things, you're there's nothing new under the sun, you know? Mm. So you're going to run into the same topics. I think a lot of comedians do themselves a disservice by... Like not wanting to talk about the mundane, not talk wanting to talk about subjects that have been done before. But it's like your view, if it's truthful and if it's your reality, then I want to hear that, too. I want to hear that. Like, I, I love that, especially as I get older and like I'm like, oh, like there's these 20 year old comics talking about drugs I've never heard before and uh, sexual positions I've never done before. And so I should probably just talk about being a homeowner and the things I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Leave that's... that to, to them. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Alonzo Bowden on here who is known to be great at topical humor. And his, his whole thing was to make it uniquely you is to put it through your point of view. That's basically how you make any general topic unique to you and your voice. Yeah, just talk about what you know about. You know, that's the thing I hate the most is when you see comedians and they like, oh, this is a topic everybody's talking about, so I need to talk about it. And a lot of times, like, nothing worse to me than, like, seeing someone do a sto- uh, like some male comic doing jokes about abortion that never experienced that never took someone to go get one never went through that thing like if 
to me, though, like the exact opposite is like, Anthony, I don't know if you've heard it, I assume Anthony Jeselnik's abortion joke about taking a lady to the abortion clinic. Like it's a sweet joke. It's a hilarious joke. It's a mean joke, just like he likes to do. But it's truthful and it's honest. And that's what I love about it. Instead of someone just doing an abortion joke because they think it's a taboo subject to talk about. Beautiful. All right. Speaking of taboo topics here, Luke Lindale asks, how much clean time do you have versus non-clean time? And do you try to have a specific one-to-one ratio? No, I don't think about it. I don't really think about it at all. In fact, I usually, people have to tell me that I'm somewhat clean. Like, like, like I'll get out to do clean shows and my manager will be like, yeah, go do And I'm like, do I have that many minutes of clean material? But I think as you get more experience in comedy, you learn that it's not even necessarily about the words. It's not about fucks and shits. It's about intention. It's about voice. It's about uh, tone. And so a lot of times, like, I don't consider myself clean at all, but other people do just because of my tone, you know, just because I my nature is sweet. They're like... You know, he's a clean, but I'm not. So I don't I don't really think about it. I think, you know, if you're if you were leaning that way, um, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that being mindful of what words you use is never a bad thing. You never want to, like, just be cursing just because I that's the thing that I'm really into is word economy and, and just being wordsmith. And another thing I take from wrestling, because I was a big fan of wrestlers like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, who, like, everything that they did mattered. And so I kind of try to take that in the same way in comedy. Like, every word I use, I want to matter. I don't want to just be throwing out ums and shits and fucks just because. I want everything I do to be have an intention. And I think if you write that way, it doesn't really matter if you're clean or, or, or dirty. But, you know, the cleaner you are, the more money you probably get. I don't know. <laughs> and what is that editing process where you start to iron out those ums and filler words and really get that word economy tight? It's just looking at everything. It's like, does this matter? Oh, and, and in my writing, I always stopped anytime I if the word because came into my, my sentence. I was like, oh, I've talked too much. And, you know, if I have to get into where I'm explaining it, where I'm like, da, 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 because of this, then I've not explained well. You know, like I should be able to explain it without getting into a secondary because. So I started looking at that and being like, okay, if that's in here, then I need to find a way to sharpen it. If there's a curse word in here, can it be replaced? I learned a lot of that from 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 J.P. Buck, actually, who is the uh, producer for, for Conan. And the first time I worked with him, like, a lot of my stuff had much more curse words in it. And he was just like, well, what if you did this? What if you did that? What if you, you know, what if this is a funnier way of saying it? And and I I was like, wow, like you, a lot of times cursing and being dirty is a way of being lazy. And so if I find a way to get the same 
idea across with a funnier word or a made up word even then that was more fun than just saying fuck or shit now sometimes i need if the punchline is fuck you or that like i don't i don't believe in going oh frick you or or you you know son of a b i don't believe in that like if you if the curse word is there it needs to be there like fuck linda <laughs> yeah it couldn't be Forget Linda. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, and I love that you're a wordsmith too, but beyond the wordsmith, you're also, your performance is, it's so unique to you. And this actually is from uh, Patrick Fowler asks, uh, you've talked about how you stay soft spoken to pull in the audience while on stage. How did you develop that art in a bar slash club crowd that is being loud and uninterested. Mm, yeah, I learned to stop caring about them. That's hmm. what one of the best um, lessons I learned was from doing shows at Suki's Bar in Portland, Oregon, which is, is at the time notoriously like they just would not even look at you. They would just be talking the whole time, and you had to learn to keep your rhythm and to make yourself laugh. And to in that if you cap your rhythm, even though they weren't talking to you, simply by the fact that they could hear like da 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 pause, da 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 pause, it would make them turn because mentally they're just like, oh, there's a rhythm happening here, oh. and so it was kind of like you know Goku training in a thousand time gravity or some shit like that, you know, where you just learn to like make yourself happy, make yourself laugh. And to to keep your own rhythm and not care about that, because, yeah, again, I would try to scream over them or start a joke by yelling and then go soft. But by the end, uh, I think and I learned a lot of it from watching Tig Notaro. Um, I, I saw her one time at a after show at the Bumbershoot at the Crocodile in Seattle and. Everyone was really, it was an after party show. And so everyone was really loud. All, even the comedians were talking over the show. And she came out and she refused to talk over a whisper. And she would just scoot the stool around on stage, making a slight screech so people could hear her. And then she would just do her jokes real softly. And when I saw that, I was like, holy shit. Like, there's such a power and maintaining your tone, your speech level, and not changing it for the circumstance. Because when you're changing it for the circumstance, you're giving your power to that audience. When you come in with your rhythm, your level, you're telling them, hey, this is what I do. This is who I am. I don't change for you. Get on board or not. And there's such a power. There's such a, like, likability to that that when i saw tig do that it kind of like opened my eyes right away like oh i don't have to yell i can be completely me i can be completely soft i even now like i hold the mic almost to my chest because i want people to like have to listen because i i'm just not loud i i can get loud but i pr prefer not to yeah and there is a confidence like a quote i heard you say is like don't be afraid to let the audience get to know you, which is something you learn from the Sklar brothers. Because a lot of times, if the opening joke misses, I used to, early on, if my opening joke missed, I would turn around and start like rubbing the wall and just, I guess this set's over. But there is a power to just keep doing your rhythm and keep going, and they'll come to you. 
Yeah, yeah. Let people come to you because it it just makes sense mentally, especially with the way the system is set up. If you're opening, if you're featuring, why would they care about you? They're taught. They're taught. You have to, you know, change their mind. You have to show them that you're valuable. You have to show them that if they listen to you, they're getting the next big person, you know? And so the best way to do that is just kind of know who you are right away. Know that you're good. Know that you're going to get better. Know that, like, this set isn't the end-all, be-all. That's one of the best lessons I learned from being able to do some acting and and, um, voiceover work is now... Club owners, club managers, don't scare me. <laughs> I'm like, what are you going? What well, you're going to not book me? Okay, like fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Once you lose that fear, once you kind of like rem- remember that this is not a job, this is not a job. This is a, a treat. This is your passion. This is your fun. This is same thing I learned with auditions. It took me a long time and and still sometimes I forget it. But when I started going like, oh, I'm not in here with them. They're in here with me. I get to show them what I think this character is. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. But this is what I think this character is. Auditioning came a lot more fun than me being like, oh, please like me. Please, you know, what do you want me to do? What do you think I should do? You know? All right. We have Dana Ramoni here. Says hi, Ramoni. Yeah, Ramoni. Or Raboni, if we're going <laughs> to tag off Bonin. Oh, gosh. That was a weak callback. Let's move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Hi, Ron. Fellow McKay Royal Scott, class of 96. <laughs> we out here. Um, Go, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, how hard is it to truly be original with your joke writing when it seems like a lot of comedians just regurgitate the same or similar premises? Oh, it sounded like that was a diss wrapped in a question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I understand the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that uh, Eliza uh, Schlesinger said that got people really upset at the time that I kind of agreed with. But I think she she, she kind of just said it in the wrong term because I think she said 80% of female comedians doing the same act, but and which made a lot of women mad. But what she should have said is 80% of comedians are doing the same act. And because that's what you see, you see people following, you see trends. I'm sure any mic you go to, any show you go to, you can start to see the trends. Like a while ago, it was like kale and fucking uh, talking about transgender people. And then for a while, it was, well, I remember when I was really pissed because it was people, um, they knew they couldn't say the word retarded anymore. So they started to use the word autistic. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you're still, a, you're still a fucking shitty person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that coming from your voice. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so you, you do start to see these trends because, uh, you know, that's just how life is. But my favorite comedians and the way I try to write is, uh, like, if I see those trends, then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to write about that. I'm going to go the other way. Or I will go 
a lot of the, what the way I write, which is kind of uh, asshole-ish, is lately is I'll go to the comedy store and I'll listen to people talk about things and I'll disagree with them. And then I'll write about how I disagree with them. <laughs> so I like, I'll go see like uh, Neil Brennan, one of my favorites, one, one of the best joke writers in the world. And he does a lot of jokes about like why you shouldn't get married, why you shouldn't have children that you should stay single. And so I started writing all these jokes about why he was wrong. And why he's a fucking idiot. And why, like, hey, what the fuck you got going on? You're a rich white man. You can't add a little responsibility to your life? <laughs> like, get your shit together. You wouldn't even have to raise the baby. You'd be asleep half the time. So, <laughs> chill out. Um, so, I think some of the ways that I'm original is that a lot of my c comedy is me being a contrarian to what I see, um, to whatever bothers me, whatever trends that I'm seeing. So um, I think that helps. And also, I just never try to write anything that isn't out of my personal life, mm -hmm. that isn't my personal feelings. Like sometimes they might be wrapped in a in a, a little you know joke that isn't true. But for the most part, if I say it, I fucking meant it. Like. I do these jokes lately about how I hate the news and I only watch Rugrats and that's true. Like that's just who I am. And so I think that's what makes you original. That's what sets you apart is if you don't go, I think when we're, when we're younger comedians, you kind of go like, what's the style of joke I can write? Can, I need to write an abortion joke. I need to write a relationship joke. I need to write a, this type of joke. And I, stop doing that and just more start thinking about what's going on with me mm. what's going mm. on in my life how do i feel right now and then i just start talking about that so like my special was a lot of like oh like my life's changing things are different like things are going different for me than they were before let's talk about that and then what my hour now mostly is like holy shit i'm happy i'm really happy and these are the reasons why I think I'm going to get married again. And that's weird. So let's talk about that and talk about the difference between me, my fiance now and, and me being married in my 20s. Like to me, it's like, OK, that's like um, real highly relatable, but highly unique, you know. And then I've been doing a lot of talking about the weight loss has let me open up more about like eating addictions and my own things that I was embarrassed about. And, and that's another, that's one of my truest advice that I could give is that if something embarrasses me, if I feel a tinge of like, Ooh, I don't, I don't know if I want to talk about that. I lean into it and then I write about it because that has always proven to pull the best material for me. Um, and in the beginning of that was, doing jokes about my son having autism. I didn't want to do those jokes. I thought I, they made me sad a little bit talking about it. And I didn't want people to think I was making fun of my son. I didn't want to think that people uh, think I was making fun of autism. Um, I, I, I mean, I remember the one of the first, the first times I told him another comic came up to me and was like, oh, I like those jokes about your retarded kid. And I was like, you don't get what I'm doing at all. Oh my gosh. Wow, that's gold though. If something embarrasses me, I lean into it. Wow. So we have we have arrived at the forty-five minute mark here, kiddos. Um, as we land this plane here, um, for now you got a feel for the show. You dropped a bomb on us there with if something embarrasses me, I lean into it. Do you have any other 
closing advice for um, comedians out there that you've learned over your career? Yeah, um, I think the main thing I can think about is mostly just applies to right now is that um, you truly have to love what you do and not care about the money and not care about success or fame. Like if, if that's what your goal is with this, then you you might want to move on because it's a long road. It's a um, slow road if you're going to try to be really good at it. And as a, you know, as of probably a couple months ago, the bubble has burst. Mm. So you you have to do what you love, and that's to me that's how I started because of, because of starting in Portland, there wasn't this blueprint of like, oh, we have Portland comics that have made it and become super famous, and this is how you do it. Like the most famous comics in Portland at the time were doing like these triple runs and these gigs through Idaho and Montana, and I knew from the get go I didn't want to go do that shit. So I was just like, well, I guess I'm just writing for me. I'm just I'm just writing what I think is funny. And I think that helped me find my voice so much quicker than trying to emulate and trying to copy what has worked before. I just kind of like was a little mold of mashed potatoes and was just like, this is what I think is funny. And slowly I got better at explaining it and better at getting my point across. Um, and, and that's been mostly the journey is less like gaining knowledge and gaining skills and more unlocking who I truly am. And, and the closer I get to my true self, it seems the more successful I become and the better I get at it. And I just start, try to start following those rules of what worked for me because I would used to not eat well, not sleep well, not meditate because I was like, oh, that's stupid. But I was like, holy shit, when I follow these rules, my life just gets better. So my main advice would be follow the fucking rules. Don't think you're above the rules. Follow the rules. Eat well, sleep well, get on stage, have fun, write, do the nerd work, do the stuff afterwards where you're listening to your set and breaking it down. Do all of it because it's not all it's not all about being on stage. That's like 10 percent of the job. The rest of it is what you do with the rest of your day, you know, and you can be lazy or you can be a fucking craftsman with it. And that's what I like to do. Yeah. And you really are just a winning example for us comics to think beyond just grinding at open mics. It's va it's important and you need to do that to develop the skill. But what else can you do? Can you act voiceover? Uh podcast you're now doing this show with quibi called nice one that's a game show where comedians try to out compliment each other which is another part of your point of view and you've your voice and you've just been able to instill your voice into everything you do which i think is so valuable for comics to see a successful version of that for us to aspire I really appreciate that. That's a beautiful compliment. Um, but I do want to turn it into a little bit of advice just because um, when you work so hard at being a comedian for like 10, 15, however many years, and then you might get a chance at doing a little bit of acting and doing things, you do want to be aware of what you're taking. And obviously, of course, you can't be like, oh, you know, I need to be the leading man. But you do want to be aware of what your brand is and what, what you want to put out there, which is why, like, I try not to, like, take roles as some super serious gang member or take a role as, like, I got offered this role to be this guy who was, like, he was funny, but he was a misogynist. And I was like, well, that's okay if I was a regular actor. 
If I was just an actor and I was going from part to part to part and people are just like, well, okay, I liked him in this, I liked him in that, that's fine. But I'm selling me. So when I sell me, I need to, me to be represented in everything I do. So when I take a role, I look for that person. Do, is there me in that role? Mm. And I've been so blessed when when people are like, hey, we don't even have a name for this character. I'm always like, well, then his name's Ron Funches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Then I take that back to the road, you know? Because mm-hmm. then they're not like, oh, who played that guy? It was like, no, that's Ron Funches. Boom. You know? Yeah. And there is a value to that. Boom. And that was one of the best, best um, gifts that Nick Kroll gave me when I was playing his lawyer and stuff when I was first kind of like getting any type of recognition that he made sure that he was just Ron. And he would even, you know, talk. I, I mean, like C.C. Czar said this thing. He's like, oh, I fuck with Ron Funches. And that has like stuck with me <laughs> since then. And to where, like, I go to these college shows and kids will be like, oh, I fucking love Crow Show. I fuck with Ron Funches, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we here at Hot Breath fuck with Ron Funches as well. We thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, do you, what, sure. what all would you like to promote here? How can we go support you? <laughs> um, I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's got troll money, kids. He doesn't need. He doesn't need us. <laughs> um, but it would help my my some of my friends and me if if you just check out that Quibi show, nice one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a free trial. I don't need you to pay for it. If you go, it's coming out June first. I got a lot of friends that wrote on it. A lot of people worked on it. It's my first time hosting something, and I like I fell in love with hosting. Like I. Is similar to like when I was first doing stand up, and then I found acting, and I was like, "Oh, holy shit!" Like stand up is my first kid, but like acting's another child. And then I found out I really like hosting. I like making other comics look good. I like I like the premise of the show, which is kind of to lift comedy up. I I get so mad at things like the roast and, and things like that where great comedians are helping shitty celebrities look funny. Mm. I don't like that. I'm not into that. Martha Stewart's not fucking funny. Mike Lawrence is funny because he wrote her jokes. Mm-hmm. You know, like she doesn't know what to do. I want to take comedians, and that's what I like with this show is like it gave me the chance to compliment them, but I would also be like, hey, these are their credits. They've been on this, they've been on that, they do this. And I don't think as comedians we do that enough. We don't go like, I'm great. I've done this. I fucking did that. We don't, we're taught to hide that. And so I want, in this show, one of the best things I get to do is go, do you not know this comedian? Well, you're an idiot because they're fucking amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to continue to do that. So I'd love to be able to do a second season, a nice one. And I really like Harley Quinn. So if people can watch that, that'd be great. Other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> All right. Ron Funches is fine, which is why we were so grateful that you were willing to do this show, man, because you, you didn't have to do this, but we really do appreciate you for doing this. Oh man, ain't ain't comedian loves talking about comedy, you know? It's it, I love I I love talking about it, especially if you have really good questions and you really um, care about the art form. I, I mean, I, we're cutting it short as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I know we said 45 minutes, and I want to honor that, so we we leave them wanting more, you know. We we'll we'll have you back again for season two. Please, awesome. Please. All right, well, hop breath the verse, go forth. Check out Ron's show, or don't. He doesn't need you. 
Just listen to the advice <laughs> he said so we can all make better comedy out there. So keep grinding out there. I really appreciate kids. if you watch the show. Watch yeah. the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Watch the show so we can get a season two and he'll come back on the show here. So go watch Absolutely. the show on Quibi and listen to his podcast as well. And buy merch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kids, have fun out there, hot brother and sister, and we'll see you next week. There you have it, hot brethren and sistren. Absorb all that positivity and take it into your days. And let Ron know on social media. Tag him in this episode and say, hey, Ron, I just heard you on Hot Breath, and I loved it. Let the guest know how much fun you had listening to them on Hot Breath so they come back and so they tell other people because right now, we are comedy's best kept secret. We have over 300 interviews with comedians like Andrew Schultz and Jeff Foxworthy and Miss Pad and so many more. And a lot of people still don't know about it. But we can all change that together, my friends. And if you're a comedian looking to level up your comedy game, we did start the Hot Breath Pro Comedian Incubator just for you to give you all the educational tools and a supportive environment to develop your comedy and become a pro. So if that's something that sounds helpful to your comedy, go into the description of this episode, click Join Hot Breath Pro, and I'll see you over there. If any of you want to connect with me directly, my social media is at Joel Byers Comedy. Send me a DM. Please tag me when you share this with Ron. I love connecting. I love hearing from you. And we're all in this together, my friends. But until next Monday, we'll see you right here on Hot Hot breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.